The reading from Psalm 139 can be found on page 662 in the Pew Bibles. Please follow along with me as I read. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall, shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, there are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! A man of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. I do, not, I, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous ways in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Thanks, Kate. Let's pray and ask God for his help as we come to this part of his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for this part of your word, what it shows us about you and your care for your people. Please give us understanding now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I feel nervous uh, deep in my stomach as I pick up the phone and start dialing. It's around 2011, I'm working as an accountant and it's my job to call the client and tell him that he has another tax bill for around $5,000. It's probably not going to go well. He answers the phone and I get straight into it. Hello Mr X, not his real name, it's Josh Rowe here from your accountants. We've received a letter from the tax office, you owe them $5,000. Mr. X does not like this at all. He explodes with more expletives than I've ever heard before or since. 
He tells me his situation. He's in trouble. This is impossible. How can he have more to pay? Mr. X, I understand, I say. Big mistake. What do you mean you understand? How could you possibly understand about five minutes more of expletives? Loud enough that my desk buddy, a couple of metres away on the other side, could hear it all through the handset up to my ear. I sink into my chair and I instantly regret my mistake. He was right. I've got no way of understanding his situation of knowing what he's feeling. I've just said something dumb to a guy who's hurting and worried and stressed. We've all done it, right? (laughs) Tried to say something comforting or helpful and ended up saying something dumb. Uh, Like one guy's story, when his friend told him that she had cancer and asked for his advice, all he could say was, but you do so much yoga. Even the Christian cliches like, God is in control, or just trust God, or God will use this for your good. Those things can just hurt when you're suffering. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. In your hurt, someone said something dumb to you. And it really does hurt, doesn't it? You feel brushed off rather than understood, alone rather than comforted. And you're left wondering, who really understands what I'm going through? Who really knows? Well, this morning, we're going to see from Psalm 139 that God knows. God understands, even when no one else does. In this psalm, David is in trouble. We don't know what's going on, but he's overwhelmed, he's hurting, but he takes comfort because God knows even when no one else does. In this psalm, David remembers that God knows him, even in his trouble, even in his hurt. And through this, we're going to see that because God knows us and is with us in his King Jesus, he's with us even in, excuse me, because God knows us and is with us through his King Jesus, even in trouble, because God knows us, we can be amazed Because God is with us, we can be comforted. Because God made us, we can praise him. And in the face of evil, we can cry out to him for help. But at each point, before we see how this song can be our song, we need to see first how it was a song of King David and then ultimately a song of God's promised King Jesus. And through Jesus, this ancient song can be our song too. A song of a God who knows us and loves us. So let's have a look at it together. The first thing we see is that God knows you, so be amazed. That's the first thing David remembers about God in his hurt. David is amazed that God knows him. Look in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. This isn't a casual knowledge. This isn't that just, just that God knows about David. When the Bible uses this word know, it means an intimate relationship kind of knowledge. Uh, we use a word like this too. Imagine I said to you that I know Hugh Jackman. You might say, really? How? Oh, I looked him up on Wikipedia. I can tell you everything about him, when he was born, who he's married to, what movies he's been in, what he likes for breakfast. I know Hugh Jackman. And you'd be right to laugh at me. 
Do I actually know Hugh Jackman? No way. At that point, I know a lot of things about him, but I've never never met him. I don't actually know him. But if Hugh Jackman was an old mate of mine, if we regularly caught up for coffee, I could actually say I know him. I know him personally. And that's the kind of knowledge that David is talking about here. David's not just saying that God knows about him. Of course God does. He made and rules the universe. He knows about everything. But David is saying something more. God knows him personally. God knows him intimately. And more than that, God cares about him. Notice all the details that God knows about David in the next few verses. Verse 2. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. God really knows David. He knows when he sits down and gets up. He sees him when he eats his breakfast, when he cleans his teeth. He even sees him as he lies awake in the dark in the middle of the night. God knows everything about him. God even knows David's thoughts. He knows everything everything that David's going to say before he says it. And David responds with awe. He simply marvels at how incredible this knowledge is. He sits back and wonders about how intimately God knows him. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. But before we marvel, before we apply this song straight to us, we need to think about a couple of things. How is David so confident that God knows him like this? That God cares about him so closely? And if we're honest, isn't this kind of knowledge a little bit scary? I don't know about you, but I'm glad that other people can't read my thoughts. If God truly knows me, if he sees me all the time, even when I'm alone, if he knows even what I think, then God knows some pretty nasty things about me. That kind of knowledge isn't really that comforting. It's actually pretty scary. But this is where it helps us a lot to remember that this is first David's song, then Jesus' song, and then in Jesus it can be our song too. First, it's David's song. And David is so confident of God's knowledge of him because he is God's chosen king. God made him huge promises that he'll have a descendant who'll rule forever. David really is special. He's part of God's big plans for the world. He's confident of God's knowledge and care because of God's promises. And he knows that God will keep those promises. David has no illusions about his own sin. He knows this kind of knowledge is scary. We're going to see it later in the psalm. We're going to see it in other psalms where he confesses his sins. But David is confident in God's promises and in God's forgiveness. So he doesn't need to fear God knowing him. He can be confident. And second, this is Jesus' song. 
This song became part of the Psalms, the hymn book of God's people for hundreds of years. Jewish boys would have memorized these songs. The people would have sung them together. They knew these songs. And one day they would have been memorized and sung by Jesus, the ultimate Israelite, God's promised king. He was perfectly known by God the Father as God's own son, the one who had been with God for all eternity. God knew him as the promised Messiah who was confident of God's knowledge and care, even in his own suffering and trouble. Jesus is confident that God knows him and he doesn't have to be afraid of this knowledge because although he was tempted, he never sinned. Now, none of us here is God's chosen king. None of us have received God's promises like David or a God's promised Messiah like Jesus. Why should God care about little old me? Maybe this is just a song for important people. But in Jesus, this song can become our song too. Because if we trust in Jesus, then God knows us. And he doesn't just know about us. Through Jesus, we're adopted as God's own sons and daughters. Through Jesus, we know that God cares for us deeply, enough to even send his own son. And if we trust in Jesus, we don't have to be scared that God knows us like this, because Jesus suffered and died so that we can be forgiven for all of our sins. Every sinful thought, every greedy desire, every lustful glance, every secret sin... Every single one is forgiven through Jesus. God's knowledge isn't a scary thing then. It's a gracious thing. God truly knows us and he truly loves us. So let's take a moment to marvel at God's knowledge of you. He knows everything about you, every secret thought, every quirky habit, every hair on your head, every fear, every worry, even those ones that you feel like you can't tell anyone. God knows. He knows every temptation, every hurt. He knows, he understands, and in Jesus, he truly loves you. David doesn't stop there. The next thing we see is that God is with you, so be comforted. We've done the groundwork now, so we can move a bit quicker from here. In his hurt, David remembers that not only does God know him, God is with him. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, in the highest heaven or the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead, God is there. Far to the east where the sun rises or far over the Mediterranean Sea in the west, God is there. God is always with him. You can see it in verses 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. God is always with David, leading him and guiding him, holding him fast, even in times of trouble and hurt, in times of deep darkness. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. No darkness or evil or trouble can hide David from God's presence. God is always with him. Imagine how much of a comfort that would have been to David. He'd spent years wandering through the wilderness, fleeing for his life from King Saul. We just read about that in 1 Samuel. He'd gone and lived with the Gentiles outside of God's promised land. He had enemies on all sides. He'd even had to flee from his own son who rebelled against him. But wherever he was, God was always with him, watching over him, caring for him, keeping him safe. This would have been a great promise for God's promised King Jesus too. Imagine when his family fled to Egypt, when he was surrounded by enemies who wanted him dead. In the garden, as he prayed to God in deep distress, God was with him. Even though he faced God's wrath to save us and even cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that God would not abandon his promised king to the grave or the darkness of the cross. God was with him always. And in Jesus, this is our comfort too. No matter where we go, no matter what darkness or evil or trouble we face, no matter what hurt we endure, God is with us always. He's with us in the dark of night as we lie awake worrying. He's with us in the doctor's office when it's bad news. He's with us in those moments of frustration where the kids just aren't listening again. He's with us in that difficult relationship when nothing we do seems to make things right. Even as we face suffering and death, he is with us and he loves us. David still isn't finished. Not only does God know you and is with you, God made you, so praise him. David's no accident. And God's knowledge and presence is not something new. God has been there since the beginning because God made David. David is God's careful handiwork. Look at verses 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. David is God's intricate handiwork. From his inmost parts, his heart, his mind, his soul, to the frame of his body, God has knitted him together in his mother's womb. Nowadays, we can see our babies before they're born with ultrasound, right? You can even get 3D pictures of what your baby looks like in the womb. But in David's day, they didn't have that technology. They can't look inside the womb. But God can. God sees David even in the womb and God is knitting David together. This is an incredible thing. God is intricately, intimately involved in the creation of new life. He sees unborn babies. He knows them. We know the natural processes by which babies are formed, but the true reality is that as designer and creator, God is involved in every step. Now, 
as a side point here, maybe you've wondered at times why Christians so often make such a big deal about abortion. It's because these verses, along with others, show us that God is intimately involved in the creation of every human being. From before they're born, every baby is under the caring, watchful eye of God. He is knitting together, forming them and shaping them. He has their lives planned out. He knows who they'll be and he knows that they're beautiful, made in his image. Now, David probably wasn't thinking about abortion when he wrote this, but he is saying that even from the womb, he was a full human person, made by God in God's own image and fully loved by God. This is why Christians make a big deal about abortion. Unborn babies are not just fetuses. They're not just a collection of cells to be disposed of. They are real people. Human beings made by God in God's image and intimately known and loved by God. What reason could be good enough to kill people like this? Now, it might be that you are here this morning as someone who has had an abortion or has been involved in an abortion and if that's you i'm not trying to condemn you there is full and free forgiveness to be found in jesus and if we trust in jesus we no longer need to live in guilt and shame we are forgiven fully and freely forgiven there is no condemnation for those who trust in jesus his mercy is always more than our sin But I do want to say, if we truly believe that God has a role to play in the life of every unborn baby, then we too should seek to care for the unborn, to preserve life wherever we can and to care for pregnant women who are vulnerable and in desperate need. God knows and he cares for the unborn. And all this causes David to cry out in praise, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. David, God's chosen king, was confident that God had known him and cared for him even before he was born. And so he cries out in praise. And Jesus, God's promised king, knew that he was conceived and formed in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was shaped from before his birth by God. We've just read about that at Christmas. And God had planned every day of his life. God knew him and loved him even before he was born. And in Jesus, we can know the same. That we were chosen to be God's people in Jesus long before we were born before the world was made, as Ephesians 1 says. He shaped each of us in our mother's wombs, every detail of us, our bodies, our personalities, our skills, and he made us well. And what's more, he planned every day of our lives ahead of time. He has loved us from even before we were born. He is worthy of our praise too. But all of a sudden, this psalm changes completely. David's sweet praise and reflections on God's goodness, God's goodness to him suddenly turn to anger and hatred. You see, the next thing we see is that in response to evil, we should cry out to God. This next part of the psalm might seem like a shock, but it actually makes good sense. 
David has just been praising God for how good he is. God knows him. God is with him, leads him and protects him. God made him and cares for him. In light of such a good and loving God, the horror of evil and sin is thrown into sharp relief. David's in trouble. He's surrounded by evil men, men of blood, they call him. They hate this good God that David has just praised. They rebel against God. And David wants nothing to do with them. In light of God's goodness, David wants nothing to do with those who do evil. And so he cries out to God to act. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. This language is shocking, right? David is saying he hates God's enemies. He loathes them. Aren't we supposed to love our enemies? But remember, David is acting here as God's chosen king. It's part of his job to judge those who do evil. And what's more, David loves God. He's just said that. If someone comes and threatens those I love, like Jess or the kids, I would be angry. And you would say, I hope, rightly so. And David loves God. So he hates those who persist in rebellion against God, who slander him. In light of God's goodness to him, David wants nothing to do with evil. But there's a big problem with this. You see, David realises that evil is not just a problem out there, it's also in him. His own heart is full of evil desires, of sin against the Lord, of rebellion, and so he cries out for God's help, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David actually ends where he begins. Can you see that? In verse 1, he proclaimed that, David had ser- that God had searched him and known him, and he wondered at God's knowledge of him. And now he asks that God would search him and know his heart, that God would find the evil and sin in his own heart and mind, and that God would lead him in righteousness. David knows that sin is insidious. It runs through all of our hearts and minds. It affects everything we do. We can't deal with it on our own. In fact, so often we don't even notice our sin. And so the only thing David can do is cry out to God for help, to ask that God would reveal the sin in his life and lead him in righteousness. He cries out to God for help. This song is not just David's song, it's Jesus' song too. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for sinners. He didn't come to condemn, but to save. In dependence on God, he lived a holy, righteous life, perfectly obedient to God. And then he willingly took the punishment that we deserve on the cross. And he did it all so that sinners like me and sinners like you can find mercy and grace and God's help. But make no mistake, Jesus isn't soft on sin. 
Jesus hates sin. He hates evil. He hates it enough that he even went to to give his own life on the cross to deal with it. And one day Jesus will come as the conquering king, as the righteous judge, and all those who persevere in hating God and rebelling against him will be judged. But this is actually good news because one day Jesus will do away with evil forever. Everything awful, everything bad will come untrue and God's people will be safe. And so in Jesus, as those who've been forgiven and saved in him, we can sing the words of this song too. In the face of evil, we can cry out to God to come and to judge the wicked. And Jesus will come and bring perfect justice. No one will get away with evil. Whether their sin is paid as they face God's judgment or paid by Jesus at the cross, no sin will be gotten away with. And so in the face of injustice, we can pray, come Lord Jesus, come. And we can also ask that God would search our hearts that God would reveal our sin, our sinfulness and brokenness, that he would help us to confess it and to repent, and that by his Spirit he would lead us in the way everlasting, the way of righteousness. In response to evil, both inside us and outside of us, we can cry out to God. When I told my client over the phone that I understood, I was wrong. It was a dumb thing to say to someone who is hurting. But the truth is that there is someone who understands us in our hurt, someone who is with us in our suffering, someone who made us, and someone we can cry out to in the face of evil. In Jesus, we can cry out to God, remembering that he knows us, he's with us, he made us, and he can help us. This song of David points us to our greatest comforter when we're hurting. And it's definitely not our accountant. It's the God who made the universe, the God who knows us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know us and love us and care about us, that you're with us always, and that you are the one we can cry out to in our sin. Thank you for your mercy to us in Jesus. Please help us to rest in and trust you, to be reminded of your presence with us when we hurt, to cry out to you in the face of evil, and Lord, to remember that you're with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.